0: Take your Bibles and let's go to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 17. I know some of you are just saying, oh man, he's almost finished. So, nope, not. Nah, just starting. Let's stand together real quick. 2nd uh, Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 17. I read this passage of scripture a couple of weeks in a message, a couple of weeks ago in a message. Um, and this is a two-part message that we're going to look at today and next week. We're one big family. So as one big family, how should we live as christians with the changing dynamics every day around us with the culture changing with the world that we live in changing we don't understand that it's changing so fast there's so many things that are happening should we change what should we do how do we face these things how do we face these crises that that are before us what do we do how do we face an ever changing workplace where you know in some cases some of us may be forced to to go into training that we totally disagree with. And you know what I'm talking about when I get there. This sensitivity training about this and that. And, and trying to reprogram your mind on how you think. So how do, how do we live? Well, today and next Sunday, I want to I give us some principles on how we can live. One big family, how do we live? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 17. And the Bible says here, Therefore, we are always confident... <clears throat> And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are, we are away from the Lord. So, so there's a principle right there. Just saying It's not even part of, the, part of the main message today. Think about this. We, we know. We're in the body. We live on this earth. We're, we're in the world but not of it. And we're away from the Lord in, in technically, physically maybe in his presence even though he lives within us. But we're not in heaven. We're not in our ultimate home yet. So understand the world in which we live. We we live in a fallen world. We live in in tents, in bodies, in houses that are decaying. And there's a purpose. We're here. Verse 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Since then that we know we are what it is to fear the lord we try to persuade others what we are is plain to god and i hope it is also plain to your conscience we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what's what is seen rather than what is in the heart so if We are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old has gone and the new is here there's a lot right there we're not going to be able to get it all this morning but we'll get some of it father i thank you for your word and I, i would even say as peter said sometimes paul's writings are hard to decipher and i thank you for your holy spirit and that your spirit gives us an understanding Maybe not completely always where where we can fully digest it or understand depending on our spiritual growth and development. But your Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and help us to understand your word. So I pray today that as we put this down and unpack it, that some of this would be very applicable to our lives as we seek to live out our faith in this nutty crazy world that we live in and i prayed in christ's name amen amen you may be seated one big family i want to remind you of the two greatest commandments in the one big family you're going to hear me say a lot about this in the coming years what is it what should we do love whom love god love people we even have a little cool little Rubber bla- a bracelet here um, for you to uh, to wear if you like to wear these. And um, as a reminder, I tell you, I've I've used mine the last couple of weeks, and it's reminded me when I've gotten in a couple of situations where uh, I necessarily didn't want to love people, and uh, I had somebody yesterday. I, I mean, come in. They were in a turning lane. I was in the lane right here. I, the Stop stoplight was there a car in front of me was getting ready to turn this person in a little bitty car came around and went in front of me and pulled in and i went who in the world do you think you are and my first thought was i'd love to slap you my second thought was i'm a pastor and i don't want to go to jail My third thought was, I don't want to lose my job. And my fourth thought was, I got to preach tomorrow, so I got to live right. And then I remembered this, love God, love people. And then in my spirit, I said, go ahead, just go ahead, it's okay, it's all right, I'm not even mad at you. Love God, love people, the two greatest commandments. And it's a challenge at times, especially to love people. But that's what it means to be one big family. So with that said... How do we as Christians live? How are we to to live? I'm going to just take it right out of the passage of Scripture here. If you you study God's Word, you look at the verbs, you look at the subject verb agreement in in the sentence structure, and and it'll tell you what's going on here. And some of these things should jump out at you and me as Christians. So, number one, how do we live? How do we live in this crazy world? The first thing we do is we live by faith. We live by faith. We don't live basically by what we see, we live by faith. Verse 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. So in order to understand it, you have to go back and look at verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. There's a lot of things in this world, in this life, while we're in this body, that will never make sense to us. Ms. K. Dobbins was telling our Sunday school class, today about something that happened her and her family were able to go on a cruise last week and on that cruise um a family of 11 12 something something like that um and they had gone on an excursion this family and um and the son teenage son they they were on, on two jet skis and they got in a jet ski crash and that son died on a cruise and you think about that. I mean, that family just days before, hours before, I mean, they were maybe who knows how long they saved up to go together and, and have this moment together. And they get on this ship, and this is supposed to be a time of leisure and relaxation and family time and fun and excitement and making memories together. And now, you know, they're preparing for a funeral this week. Life is hard, y'all it's not easy and some things we don't understand and some things we will never understand because we do not have the mind of God we are not God he is God and we can never fully understand his ways there are some things things in scripture that people ask me about and they say what about that and you know what my answer is to them I have studied it at nauseam. I don't really care to study it anymore. And here's what I've come to the conclusion about that particular passage of Scripture. I don't know, and I'll never know on this side. The secret things of God, Deuteronomy says, belong to God. There's some things that I'll never know. But I know this, that when I receive Christ and I've trusted Him for my eternal salvation, I surely can trust Him to live in this life. And where I can't, understand it and visually see it with my eyes and it makes sense to me that's where I go to God and say God I don't understand it I don't know why this person was taken this person was left I don't understand why all this happens I do understand why evil happens in this world I don't like the evil I can't stand it I I believe we live in a fallen world I have theology that that teaches me that based on what I understand and know and it makes a lot of sense to me even though it's senseless in the act However, I don't have to like it, and when I don't like it and don't fully understand the timing or why, I have a God that's much bigger than that, and I can trust Him. And as a Christian, I live by faith. I live by faith. A lot of people live by what they can see. Look. He didn't ask me, and he would never say this. I didn't even know he was going to be here today, and I'm glad that he is here today, and he's probably going to make me run suicides for, for this. But Coach Vester is here, okay? Our head coach at Newberry High School. We, on the scoreboard, got, got, got beat pretty good in our spring game on Friday night by Hawthorne, okay? And on the surface... Everybody's thinking. I I saw a post on Facebook when I got home and it's from a former Newberry football player from a few years back. Not one that you coach, coach, but 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 some years back. And they this is what they said, and I'm gonna use the word, said, Oh man, Newberry football is gonna suck this year. They saw one game and basically they they said all those boys, all the sweat, all the blood, all the coaching all the time that we're going to spend isn't worth our time going to see them because they ain't good. That's what they're saying. And you know what? You know what I said when I saw it? I didn't respond to it, but I said in my heart, I said, what they can't see is what's behind the scene, scenes. What they can't see is the family of, of those young football players. What they can't see is the heart of those young men. And who knows, we might win every game and we might not win a game. I don't know this, but I, but I do know one thing. I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to trust what God's doing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that we're doing it the right way and that our head coach is leading us in the right way. And I'm going to believe that God has a purpose no matter what the scoreboard. Board says. Amen. Right, coach? I'm going to believe God. So what? We throw in a towel? We quit? We quit in life because something bad happens to us? As Christians, we, we give up because. Things are happening to us that number one, we don't like, number two, we don't understand, and number three, we don't know how to figure it out, how to figure out to get past it. We live by faith, not by sight. There are some things that we can't see. The Bible says that there is a battle, a spiritual war going on in the heavenly places because we battle not against flesh and blood. And not against principalities and powers and rulers. I mean, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age, and all of these things. In other words, there's a spiritual realm that we can't see that's working against you and me every day. And so if if all I do is live my life based on what I can see and fix and touch, I will never have victory as a Christian. And I want to have victory. I want to trust Him. And you know what? The older I get, the more hopefully mature I get in Christ. I hope I'm growing in Christ. I believe I am. I'll tell you, the less I want to fix everything. And the more patient I'm getting. I actually had my daughter say something to me. It's, you know, your current worship leader right now. Where does she go? She's here somewhere. There she is. She said something on Mother's Day. This was supposed to be complimenting moms, but she complimented her dad. And we were eating lunch last week, and she said something like this uh, to the effect that, you know, Dad, you handle things a lot better now. And my first thought was to say, yeah. But then I said, well, it comes with a little bit of living life and maturity. You learn when you're young, you've never experienced something before. And if you're not trusting God, you kind of freak out a little bit about certain things but then as you live over and over and over, year after year after year, and you see all those things you used to be upset about, why well, get upset about them? Because they're not, it's not gonna, you're not going to add one thing to your day by worrying about it, and you know what? It's going to eventually work out, and God's going to take care of it. I said, so, so I, I've, I've learned by just life experience, but the second thing is, I think I'm growing in my faith, and I'm learning to trust God better, even though I have moments where I'm not. Sort of like the guy who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying I'm great. I'm just saying all of us should be in that boat. If you've been a Christian for a a while, there should be some measurable growth in your faith walk with God. Trusting Him. So we live by faith. See, what you don't know here is I got eight points, but only four for this morning. Aren't you glad I cut it in half? Okay, number two. (laughs) Number two, how should we live? How do Christians live? We live to please God. That's how we live. We live to please God. Look at verse 9. We read this passage here, but look, look at verse 9. It says, so we make it our goal or our aim to do what? To please Him. There it is. It's right there in the Scripture. We make it our goal and our aim to please Him. Now, since I brought Coach up, and again, I remind you, I get criticized for my only illustrations are about fish and hunting or football. Yep, I admit to it. I'm guilty. That's my life. Uh, Like I said, when you got a pastor who's a poet, he'll give you illustrations from poetry. Okay, but that's all I know. You make it your aim to please him. As a little boy, I wanted to please my dad. I mean, I was always in a work environment on a shrimp boat in off season painting the boat, repairing the boat, repairing the engines, fixing the nets, uh, trying to learn the trade um, during the season. You, you do all of that, and you, but, but you're catching shrimp. And so, so I realized early on I wanted to, to be given responsibility, and so therefore I had to earn that, and, and, and the person I needed to, to please in that regard was my father. And then when I started playing sports, and then I got to high school, I'll never forget, I played for a high school legend. He played at LSU in the 1960s, no, early 1970s, we won a state championship in, in 1977. I know I'm dating myself. When I was in the sixth grade, we won a state championship in football. Pretty awesome. matter of fact, Coach O, the head football coach at LSU, he, is, he was on that 77 Tarpon football team. And my dream was to play for that coach. I didn't know in 83 when I became a senior if he was still going to be the head coach, but he was. His name was Ralph Perry, P-E-R-E, Perry, Paday. He was a monster of a man. He had red hair. And when he would get upset on the sideline, it was a... When I when we were kids, we weren't looking at the players who we were looking at Coach Perry because that hair would shake and that neck would get red. And I remember I made it my aim and my goal that I would that he would never have that that look when it came to me. It almost happened one time. See, when I became one of his players, I wanted to please him. Whatever it was, I want to please that coach. I want to please him. I want to do whatever he tells me. So Got the starting defense over here. He's got everybody on a knee. He's teaching the concept of the, of the offense of the team that we're going to play. So the scout offense was here. Put me on the scout offense. And this team that we were playing was John Errett High School. Very fast high school in New Orleans. And so when they went in motion back in those days, they would go in motion fast. And he was trying to give them an understanding of that. So he told me, he said, Corey, go in motion. And he said, I want you to run. I started jogging. When I get about... But behind the quarterback, he screams, run! I almost ran through the stadium. Because when he said run, I'm running, Jack. And then he yelled, stop! That was it. I made it my aim right there. I said, I will never get yelled at again by him. If he says run, I know what it means now. So as a player, my, I wanted to please him I wanted to please him in the last game I ever played on the last play victory formation he looked at me I brought the play in he said Corey you tell everybody in the huddle don't even don't even tell the quarterback to tell him you tell everybody in the huddle if they get in a fight don't come back to my sideline yes sir and I said if you get in a fight, Coach Perry's going to do something to you, and I can't say it right here, okay? <clears throat> I wanted to please him. Well, let me tell you something. Not long after that, I was introduced to the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus, and he saved me, and he changed me. How much more so should I want to serve and to please the God who's perfect? As a young man, I wanted to please fallen men, which is not bad in the right ways. Now that I'm a Christian, it's even even more of a passion. It should even be more of a passion for us. We live to please God. We're not here to please ourselves. We're here to please God. Let me see if I can help you understand it this way. If you want to live your life just pleasing yourself, may I suggest to you never get married. Can I make that suggestion here and be taken serious? Don't get married, Jack. Because you see, when you get married now, you're all about not, not worshiping them, obviously not, but your your goal now is to minister to them and to love them and to please them not above god but to please them and so in life you know it should be our goal as, as spouses to look to bring joy and happiness and fulfillment to our spouse I think a lot of people have lost that. And I'll tell you why I think a lot of Christians have lost that in their marriages. Because they've lost the beauty and the goal and the joy of loving and pleasing God. Because when you love Him and you please Him, you want to do what He wants you to do. And you realize that according to Scripture, that you're married, that this is a fellow sister in Christ. My wife is not just my wife. She's my sister in the Lord. And she has a father. He's a heavenly father. And I'm going to have to answer to Him for how I treat her. And so therefore, I want to do my part in what God's called me to do to make that happen. And so when I please God, when I'm making my aim to please God, I become a better human being. I become a better Christian. I become a better husband. I become a better brother in Christ to someone else. I can become a better servant because my goal is to please Him. Now, if it were easy, we wouldn't be preaching on it. It's not always easy because we always have that old flesh battling us, behind us, saying, deep within us, saying, please your flesh. Make yourself happy. It's all about you. But if you can ever get that funneled in and focused to Jesus and realize that I've got to please him, and if I'm here to please him, then it changes my life. Listen. Listen. You might have a sour or difficult work environment that you work in. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try to find another job or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that maybe you're in it and you can't change it. So how do you approach that? Well, how does God want me to respond to this? What would God have me do? You follow me? We got difficult people that we we, we we associate with, we live around, we we What does God want for me? Does God want me to forgive them? Does God want me to treat them with respect? Does God want me to tell them the truth? He wants me to tell them the truth of love. Does he want me to be sarcastic to them? Obviously not. So then when you start looking at it through that, it's the old saying, what would Jesus do? But what does God want for me to do? And what would please him? So we make it our goal. We make it our aim. Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, it is our goal as Christians to live our lives in such a way that we want to please him above all other things. want to please him it's not what i want look i hear people all the time say this and i concur because it's our flesh you know if somebody does something to one of my kids you know i'm going to kill them well is that what god wants you to do and i some i asked somebody this one time because they were they were (laughs) they, they were ready to kill a certain person and I wanted to help them, to be honest with you, <laughs> because what that person was doing was wrong, and, and it, it infuriated me. But I said, what does God want you to do? But I want to. I said, I understand what you want, and, and, and I understand it, but is that what God wants? And ultimately, when you get down to that, it can help you in a lot of circumstances and situations, right? So that's how we should live. We're one big family. How do we live in this world? I've got to please God i got to please Him. Man, that that simplifies some things for you. And let me just say this before I move on to the next thing. Teenagers, that right there, that one point will save you. That one principle will save you a world and a lifetime of heartache and anguish. In a moment when somebody else wants you to please them, and it's dishonoring to God, all you ask yourself is, will this please God? And if it doesn't, you got God on your side when you say, no, I can't do that. And that person will probably say, well, if you love me, you will. And what you need to respond back to them and say, well, obviously you don't love me, because if you love me, you would want me to obey God. God clearly says in his word that this is not appropriate, and we're not doing it. Number three, how do Christians live? Number three, knowing we live in such a way that we know we are going to have to give an account for how we lived. We know we're going to have to give an account for what we've done. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I hear people who have a general knowledge of the Scripture and they get the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment of God confused. And they say, every dog has his day and everybody's going to be judged. And, and technically, they're right. Every one of us who lives is going to face a judgment of some kind. Okay? But here's the difference. For the person who's given his, himself or herself to Christ, you will not stand before the great white throne judgment of God You belong to Him. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You're not going to be judged as to whether or not you're going to heaven or not because you belong to Him. Right? So what is this? This is a different kind of judgment. This is an accounting that has to be given to the Master for what we've done with our stewardship. For what we've done, with what He's given us individually, He's given each one of us eternal life he's given each one of us this new christian life we have his holy spirit we have him living within us and within our hearts and souls so what are we going to do with him we're going to have to give an account for what we've done with our christianity and how we've lived i hear people say this well you know I know I'm going to have to answer for what I've done, and I'm, I know I'm going to have to, but, but I'm going to stand before God. In other words, they say it in such a way like they're going, to, they're going to get God to understand it. No, 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 buddy. When you stand before God, it's not by your rules and by your standards. It's by the holy standard of God. And when you and I stand, it's all going to be done. There will be no negotiation taking place. So what's going to happen is all that we've done in our life for Christ is going to be put through a purifying fire, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. And the Bible says that that there are going to be some of our works that we've done as Christians will be like wood, hay, and stubble. It will be burned up by the purifying fire of Christ, meaning what we did was out of a wrong motive, out of a wrong heart. We didn't do anything that was worth it. We didn't do anything for the kingdom. That stuff is burnt gone. There would be no trace of it. It's gone. It's burnt. It's just smoke. It's all gone by the purifying fire of Christ. But then there's going to be some of our other works. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have some of those works that's going to get burnt up. But then there's going to be, and I hope I have some of these, I pray I do. Then there's going to be the gold, silver, and precious metal. And that's going to represent the works done for Christ to please Him and to honor Him. And that will be passed through the purifying fire of Christ. And in that fire... Those things are going to be purified, and from it, we're going to have crowns that will be made, and those crowns will be given to us. And the Bible says in Revelation, there's a, there's a, a, a singing group, a Christian singing group called, or a Christian rock band called Casting Crowns, because we're going to cast our crowns at His feet. In other words, our life's work for Him will be, will be transformed into crowns from from the work that was done that was godly, that was pleasing unto him. And then we're going to take it and we're going to cast it at his feet and we're going to lay it all before him and say, this was for you, Christ, this is all for you. It's not for me to put on my head. It's to lay at your feet and to say, this is my life work for you. My question to you and me is, are we going to have anything to put at Jesus' feet? Or are we just going to be the ones that are going to just be there I say, thank you, God, for my salvation. I came here, and I have nothing to give, and I've wasted my life on earth. I'm, and you've given me salvation, and you'll be saved. But you'll have nothing to give him. Nothing to give him. Have you ever been given a gift that you have just felt like you didn't deserve? Matter of fact, every gift I've been given feel like I don't deserve, you know. But but a gift that somebody is just so kind to you and just get. What do you feel when you receive that? You want to give something back to them, right? And at that moment, you can't because you didn't see it coming, you didn't know it, and you would really insult them if if you try to one up them. And so you say thank you, and you you know you're humbled by it it's hard for some of us to receive gifts because we're not humble enough i struggle with that and but in my heart deep in my heart i'm like man i got to do something for them for what they've done for me boy just 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 multiply that how you're going to feel when you stand before christ one last thing here we're, we're done here how do we live as christians we live with a spirit of being compelled by christ's love now i got verse 10 but it's actually verse 14 i'm the one who put the wrong verse we are compelled by christ's love verse 14 says this for christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died In verse 15, and and, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So in verse 14, he says, for Christ's love compels us. We are compelled. We can't help ourselves. Because of all that Christ did for us and because of his great love for us, we are compelled to share that love with other people. How do we live? We live by faith. We live to please God. We live knowing we're going to have to give an account. And we live wanting other people to have what we have. We are compelled by it. I'll I'll give you an example of this. I remember when I first got saved. it, It may have taken a couple of weeks. But, man, I had some clear understanding about a few things. Not a lot, but a few things. And I remember, this is it. This is it. This is the answer. This is what my mom and dad have been looking for and they can't find because they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking for it in in having a good time. They're looking for it in things. They're looking for it in in being successful. They're looking for it uh, for it in in um you know, and trying to be a little religious. Uh, they're looking for it in alcohol. They're, tr- they're looking for it in all these places. That's what I was doing. And, and now I've found him, and he's found me, and I have, I've received Christ. And, and there was a compelling spirit within my heart to want to tell them and to want them to have what I had. Because you love them, and because of Christ's great love for you, you want others to have what you have. Correct? You do. And so that's how we live as Christians. We always live with a compelling spirit within us to want others who who don't have Christ to have him. We don't want to selfishly hold on to him. Oh, my gosh. Why would we do that? Thank God that other people didn't selfishly hold on to him when it came to our salvation, right? I want other people to know. I want them to experience the peace that passes all understanding. I want them to be able to experience. They don't have to walk just by sight, but they can walk by faith, knowing that there's another realm and that God's going to answer it all one day. And, yes, we're all going to stand, you know, those of us who are Christians for the judgment seat of Christ. And those who aren't Christians are going to stand before the great white throne judgment we cast in the, in the everlasting fire and hell. I want them to know Scripture. I want them to know the truth. I want them to know how they can have peace. I want them to have peace in their marriage. And I know that the answer to that in their marriage is Christ, not trying to fix some relationship. Because if, look, I, I, I'll, I'll say it this way. I remember years ago there was, a, there was a, a movement in America called Promise Keepers. Y'all remember that? Great movement. And we took a group of men here back in the late 90s to all Tell Stadium at the time. Uh, what is it called now? Bank of them. Something, something, huh? I can't remember. It, the Gator Bowl, okay, the old Gator Bowl, whatever. And it just, you know, just a couple of years since they had redone it, and they brought all these men, thousands of these men. And man, the, the Friday night before was just so healing, so powerful, so amazing. And then, and I know where he was coming from, but I think he failed in this one area. Brother Bill McCartney used to be the head football coach at, at uh, Colorado University. He's the one who started Promise Keepers. And, I, and I, a man loves God and he loves people. And he experienced with bringing some African-American boys, young men, to Boulder, Colorado. They experienced some racism and some, some serious issues there. And he, he was their defender. And so he got up there and he, he started talking about that. And really was forcing the issue about that. And my whole thought was this. Brother Bill, I get where you're coming from. But any man who says he's a Christian, that you have to convince him not to be a racist, ain't no Christian in my book. Or according to Scripture. The moment you get saved, God deals with you about that. If you have any of that in your heart. Right? Right? You look totally different at people, totally different for us where I grew up it, it wasn 't that kind of racism, it was a different kind We have, we have in South Louisiana you, you have um, some some native Americans and you know and, and, and where where I grew up in my town, they lived in a very poor section, and those people were looked down upon those people were mistreated and when I was not a christian. I started to, to do that to them and started to act that way in my mind to them. And then when I got saved, I was just like, I, I remember the first time I was talking with a group of people and somebody had said something, called them the racial slur name that you call those people. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we can't be doing that. And I almost got in a fight with somebody as a baby Christian. because And, and they were like, well, what happened to you? That's what they said. Well, you, you used to believe this is that. I sure did, but I don't believe it anymore. And I'll tell you why, because my heart got changed. My heart was compelled by Christ to change. To see people the way Christ sees them. Can can I just say this? Christ wasn't a white European male with long hair and blue eyes. He was a darker skinned Middle Eastern man. That's what he was. And, and, And let me just say this. I really don't care what color his skin was. Y'all hear me? While man looks at the outside, the Bible says God looks at the what? The heart. Man, I'm compelled by Christ's love to live differently, to look at people differently. That's how I should live as a Christian. And I'm telling tell you, these four points, I'm only getting started. Y'all come back next week to get the, the juice. Let's stand together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the life-changing power of a God who's alive and well. And He wants to use us. That's how we can live. Thank You that we don't have to live by sight. We can live by faith. Trusting You. Thank You that You change us and You compel us within our hearts so that others would know the great forgiveness, love of Christ. Remind us that we must all give an account of what we have done with our Christianity. God, I don't know what this means for our church. I'm just being the faithful messenger, and I know it's speaking to me. Your word is speaking to my heart. Your spirit is dealing with me in all these areas. But I pray for our church, our community, our, this body of believers, just one big family, that we would become an even bigger family because we want so many others to come to know you, and that we would be a family of, of depth spiritually and that would be we'd be a family that wants to serve you and please i mean aims to please you in all areas and so father i give you this invitation i don't know how you've spoken to somebody's heart in life but however you have i pray that we would be obedient to you i pray for the person that needs to give their heart and life to you, like Katie demonstrated through her baptism. I I pray for the person that's battling with something that's been mentioned here today. Your spirit has brought that out. I pray for our church that we continue to be a lighthouse for a broken world full of love and passion and commitment. So, Father, we thank you. This is your time in your moment, we have what is called the invitation. and You're invited to do whatever God lays upon your heart. You can do it right where you stand. You can come to this altar and kneel. No one will make a judgment of you. You can come and make a public decision. I'll be here. You can come and see me. I may not be able to give you all the answers, but I can connect you with someone in our church that can counsel you through something, or we can set up something for later. However God is leading you. You trust Him. Maybe you want to pray for somebody, pray with somebody. You feel welcome to do what God's Spirit leads you to do. And Father, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.